Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. You could not touch the little tops of the mics. Oh. Like this. Like that. Yeah. That. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I have headphones in. It's very loud. Right, I'm very sorry. What about blowing it like this? Hello, and welcome to the Ask the Industry podcast, episode 62. My name's Simon Kane, and for those of you new to the show, this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand up, comedy, radio, and today, the Edinburgh Fringe. Today is a bit different to a normal podcast. I explain in the podcast how this big panel of experts came about, but essentially I got chatting to a few industry experts during the Fringe who all had varying degrees of comments about how it was going this year and what it was like and their interpretation on how the Fringe was developing. And I thought what would be really interesting is for this year, and potentially if you like what I'm doing with this, once every year after Edinburgh, doing a panel of experts from different sections of the industry to discuss how they thought it went and what it was about. This year I've heavily focused on awards, reviewers and promoters. The people you're about to hear are Steve Bennett, the founder of Chortle. He's also the head reviewer there and started the Chortle Award and the Chortle Student Awards. Bruce Dessau, who is the founder of beyondthejoke.co.uk and is also the London Evening Standard reviewer for comedy. Copstick, who is the head reviewer at the Scotsman newspaper. Hills Jago, who is the founder of the Amuse Moose Comedy Clubs and Laugh Off Awards. John Fleming, who is the founder of the Malcolm Hardy Awards. Barry Ferns, who is the founder of the Barry Awards and Angel Comedy Club. Um, Both Barry and myself were also there representing the comedians in the conversation and injecting our perspective from the performer's side of whatever they were talking about. I'd just like to say a massive thank you to Barry, Sarah, Rachel and the entire team at Angel for letting me use their new venue for this. And thank you so much to all the panellists for being so up for this and for being so cooperative. It took a lot of choreographing and a lot of scheduling for everyone involved, myself included, to get everyone in a room at the same time especially directly after fringe when everyone's sort of recovering and doing their own thing so i can't thank them enough for being so supportive of the idea and for being so receptive to it as well before i hit play on the interview i just want to say if you could join the facebook group that's the best place to get a heads up on when i'll be doing more pods like this as well as a myth busting conference which i'm working on which is gonna have to get pushed back to next year now i was hoping to do it before the end of this year but unfortunately it's one of those things where i've overstretched myself and also i've reconsidered how it's going to get formalized 
guys so if you enjoyed this and you would like to come down and meet industry experts and discuss and ask your questions directly that's the best place to find out about that conference also to ask your questions directly via me i put up a thing a few days before every guest so you can ask them anything you want to ask them no question is too stupid no question is too big or small i'm the one that's going to be asking it i'm the one that's going to look like the idiot if it is a stupid question so feel free to try and troll me but i'll probably do my research before uh every question i ask anyway and also i have editing power so if you may try and troll me it probably won't get in but if you have actual questions you want to ask that is the best place to find out about future guests also please do consider giving it an honest review in itunes you have no idea how much these help out like they they make a difference to charts positionings but they also make a difference to when people are landing on the podcast and are looking at whether they think it's a quality product or not so if you like this and you think it's worth four or five stars whatever please do leave a review and a star rating if you think it's worth one star don't bother like just leave it like there's no point in adding that negativity to it just send me an email with your constructive feedback that's fine but don't bother leaving a review without any more delays here is our first post edinburgh fringe analysis podcast you couldn't hear anything <laughs> can you hear yourself I, can I, you i can through this i can vague i tell you what, roughly that i'm going to start you can dub himself in later because he's a liability out is what i'm Bring thinking up. about if he's yeah. chatting and it picks it up i'll probably yeah i'll probably dub myself in in post yeah, but can you dub yourself out have you done this yeah. So yeah, I've done. Um, if that, if I've done at least four part, that I can count uh, in this room. So essentially, okay, not to Hills, what? not in charge of this one. Him in charge of this one. Yeah, I'm not. And you, right? So is it right? Okay. And you. Essentially, what happened you. was, guys, guys. Okay, right. Essentially, this is why you're one on one. I know. This is, this is a lot less uh, hectic one on one. Right. So essentially, what happened ooh, was ooh. Uh, in Edinburgh, I met John in the back of a van, and we discussed afterwards how uh, he was quite unquote bored at the fringe which was your words not I mean, mine I refute this quote mm. you refute so that we're quote? now all going to have a go at John we're now all going to have a go at John but he mentioned <laughs> that you Copstick were equally is, is it true you weren't as oh I thought I I, I, I wasn't just bored I was more irritated than bored this fringe I, I thought there was just a, uh, an appalling really irritating sense of entitlement amongst all the acts uh, a real sense of homogenisation, uh, a, a kind of tsunami of people who aren't really comics, but who had come up with some some put-together Edinburgh Hour by numbers, usually involving their fucking depression, <laughs> or how they stubbed their toe on holiday in 1984, or their mum hadn't been nice to them, or their uncle hugged them in too much or not enough. Anyway, they were a bit depressed. Everyone go. Oh, nobody came to see my show. Well, people did come to see my show, but they weren't nice to me. And and everybody <laughs> had all the, the the kind of random shit. You know, the kind of sludge of comics. The, the 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 depth of the level of sludge comics. They're all doing more or less the same thing in a hideously self pitying but simultaneously self congratulatory way. Is getting thicker and thicker and thicker and thicker. I mean, I think there's always. Uh, decent comics on top of that, but the industrial sludge is getting thicker every year, and it was, I, I felt that it practically suffocated the entire thing this year. I just, I mean, you're fucking depressed, go off and just fucking talk yourself. So what if you do about it? <laughs> yeah, don't do a show about it, or if you do do a show about it, 
Really, I don't care about you. But maybe I don't it makes care them about feel better. But maybe they're doing. Sh- maybe it makes them feel better. Yeah, I don't, I don't that's care why they're about doing you it. at all. I think that's the... you make me care. But they're not doing it for your benefit. They're doing it for their own yeah. benefit. Are we live, by the way? Yeah. Is... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, but they're doing exactly. it for their benefit because, yeah, you didn't yeah, like but... it, and that's cool. That's up no, to but, you. but why? You know, why expect an audience to sit there? And pay or put something in the bucket at the end and applaud you <laughs> and be nice when you're doing it for your it's benefit. It's cheaper than therapy, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, something that you do for <laughs> your benefit is called wanking. I, I resent <laughs> it when comedians say comedy is therapy. I think comedy can be therapeutic. I don't think they should be using it as therapy. That's my take on it. I don't think Michael McIntyre gets much in the way of therapy. Now, isn't it? Because of the subject matter that they're talking the about, it feels, it feels more like they're addressing their mental health issues yeah. and stuff. I've, I've always say to comics when they are talking about what they're going to put in their show next year, I always say, don't, if, you've got, if you've got a story, something autobiographical you want to sell, write, if you must do it, write it down. Put it in the drawer and save it till you're famous because then people might be interested in hearing it. <laughs> That's a very good idea. Now. But, but surely if you have to do a 60-minute show, you can't just do gags. There's, there's a limited number of gags to there are. Tell that to Michael McIntyre. It's better if you have a narrative, though. Was there a narrative? Why is it better if you have a narrative? It's, it's easier if you have a narrative. Yeah. It's better if you're funny, really, is the bottom line. It doesn't line. need to have a storyline. Doesn't, doesn't need to have a narrative arc specifically. If it's funny right the way through. I'm actually a perfectly good Canadian comic. I think he's quite well-known in Canada, but he's not well-known here. And he about... What's his name? Uh, his name is Peter White, okay. oh, yeah. and uh, he had a load. He just he had like it was like four little bits of club set put yeah, together, yeah. Uh, and each the first bit wasn't very good. The second bit was monumentally brilliant about racism, and then he, another bit. Then at the end, he said, uh, "I'm going to do a really personal bit now because I've been told that when you do an Edinburgh show, you've got to do a personal bit," and then did this thing about how he had a girlfriend who every time he threatened to dump her, she threatened to commit suicide. Thank you and good night. I'm here all month. Try the veal. That's the problem is that they feel they've got to do it that way. I mean, it's, it's a valid way of doing it. If you've got a story to tell, do it. And it's, it's easy to hold her now if you've got something to peg it to. If you shove it on as a sort of a postscript going, oh, this Edinburgh shows need to do this and that 40 minutes need to do this. And that. But it's even, like a Mills and Boone book. You have to hit a certain point every... Yeah, but I mean, all the all the dead dad. It doesn't doesn't all, it really doesn't matter what you do if you're doing it well enough. But ninety nine percent of these people aren't doing it well enough. Yeah. But wouldn't you say that comedians have to because because you never start great. You have to work your way to it. And if you're and if you want to talk about mental health issues or, or, or deaths or anything like that, you've got to start at a certain crap level to work your way up to being good at talking about those things well don't start at a certain crap level for an hour for fuck's sake but it's like what Hill said it's only sticking in your jaw I mean we had this discussion a while ago and I think worked out the person who possibly originated the dead dad thing was Russell Kane but Russell Kane that wasn't his first show but the show he won uh, the award with was the show so yeah he had a few years of building up and finding his voice and being articulate enough to say that but yeah as Hill said if the first thing you do when you do an hour show is about your father dying or something, you might not have the tools to discuss something, particularly something as heavy as that. But do you, do you, do and you, no one really wants to know, whereas if when you're, you're not famous, well, people yeah, go, oh, well, that's interesting, that's, that's why he's like he is or whatever. Ultimately, you've got to be funny what yeah. you do. Yeah. Well, I think it's hard to be problem. funny about something miserable. But I think it's difficult at the Fringe because so many people are trying things out. You know, like Frank Skinner, the first time Frank Skinner came to the Fringe, he'd done like five gigs. And I know this was years and years ago, you know, but 
I think that so the fringe is so much about experimentation, and so many people are reaching so high because as a performer, you're sold the idea of win, winning an award. That's what you're sold as the myth. Who's that? It's within the myth. It's within the kind of the idea. You go to Edinburgh and there's the award, the award. and there's a separate thing: winning an award and doing a show that has that kind of narrative that attracts the kind of the award-winning narrative. Well, no, you see someone like Tom Ballard, there's no, that's just full of gags. It's a separate thing from being funny. Like, some of the funniest shows that I've seen at the Fringe were not nominated for awards, Mm. like, because being funny isn't seen as good enough. It's not like Michael McIntyre. Well, you could criticise the panels for that, then, couldn't you? Well, I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. Whose fault is it, do you think? Is Is it the panel, or is it our fault for thinking or trying to react what you want? Comedians. Okay. Oh, sorry, when I, when I refer to oh, I'm a comedian in this, you guys are all industry. I think you're podcasters. So. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, I, I am preempting yeah, what my team are on today, Simon. Yeah, I'll, I'll switch sides, whatever, okay. if it helps my career. We, we, as comedians, I feel, try in a way sometimes to preempt what panels want and what things. And like you said, it's, like, it's, the, it's the comedy by numbers type idea yeah. where if we think that's what's in vogue, comedians sometimes. And by the way, I'm playing devil's advocate. You should be ahead this. of the game, not behind it. Shouldn't and you shouldn't be in it just for the fucking sparkly no. prizes. No. No, no. I should well, out. Anything I'm going to say is I'm playing devil's advocate on questions I've been asked. I don't necessarily agree yeah. with anything. I don't care. I'm holding you to everything. If anything, that's the problem with comedy right now is that you're willing to say things just in order to... I can to, credit to, the people if you want. You need to be, have a coherent voice. You need to be honest on stage. And like being honest on stage is being honest about what you find funny yes. as well as a narrative and not doing something because you feel it should be said. So it's a good example of like, yeah, okay, but, but, within this podcast, yes, it should be said. But I think there are so, I think a lot of the things that are coming up now, everyone's kind of naming people doing it by numbers, like a dead dad show or, a, you know, a, and that can be a bit disingenuous and a bit boring because people aren't being authentic. And, and, and also being authentic can just be being really funny. Mm-hmm. And that's authentic. I mean, I, I think you, you can certainly on the, on the, I definitely think that an industry is fucked the minute most of the people in it are only doing it for the prizes. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. Yeah, I just... Just fuck off out of it if you don't want to be... If you actually don't want to be a comic and you wouldn't do your show to one person and you don't think your show is, is so great that you're happy to do it to a mirror. But I also think that the the panel, certainly on the big awards, the, the panel Malcolm Hardy Awards, of course, is beyond, beyond reproach, beyond criticism. <laughs> but I distinctly remember... Bruce and I taking on the Perrier panel who to a man and woman and boring twat sat there chanting but he's just funny when we were going Michael Michael McIntyre's brilliant Michael McIntyre's brilliant you know he's just funny now Michael McIntyre was was criticised for that from the moment he set foot on a stage he was criticised and he was hated for the fact he went on told jokes and he could rip up any audience and he didn't change at all the the industry or television or whatever eventually came back to fit him and go he can keep anybody laughing for an hour we will come round to his way of thinking and give him a prime time show I've spoken to people like Mick Perrin and, and people that do tours and they've said that awards look great on posters mm-hmm. but they don't necessarily sell out venues and, and you're nodding now Hills uh, well, I, th- I think and I don't only think that but I think interestingly at the moment if you as a booker and a promoter 
producer, whatever you want to call me. You know, I, 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 like everyone else, wants to have a few names on a bill because we believe or are led to believe or think that that draws an audience in. But if you ask the audience, they've got no clue who they're seeing. So no just, clue at all. So do you think awards are helping outside of Edinburgh? Do you think they're actually making an impact? Or do you think they're just a nice sparkly thing? I think it's just a nice sparkly thing to have on a website or on a poster. I don't think it draws well, an audience. I mean, someone like John Bishop says that he couldn't get, in terms of TV, he couldn't get arrested until he got an award nomination. Mm. You know, he said he'd done Edinburgh. Well, I think, I think it works for industry. I think yeah. the, the television and just, television and radio people are very excited about awards because it's sort of, it's a justification mm. for their belief that this person is good. Because they don't have any confidence. Yes, so it goes yeah, keeps yeah. it in a judgment. Keeps yeah. it in a job because if somebody, a producer, isn't going to take a risk on somebody because each producer is as good as their last job. So if somebody's won an award, they can just go back to that and go, oh, well, that person's won an award, so I thought they were good. Mm-hmm. And uh, ultimately, so many things come back to people just conserving their job, conserving their career. Mm-hmm. It's a conservatism that but, is. Yeah, because the people in the, in the television industry haven't got a fucking clue, so they need somebody else to go, he's good, he's good, she's mm-hmm. not bad, but he's good. That, that's a reoccurring theme and questions we've been asked. Is why is there not a link between new talent and TV and radio? Why why are they pretty much picking up people that have awards or picking up people that have been sort of pushed forward maybe through like a management thing or from PRs and and just shoved into a position because they fit a, a bill that uh, you know they could be the next whatever name comedian you want to fit in there and instead of them going actually there's a comedian out there that hasn't got the money to get a PR hasn't got the money to to or hasn't or hasn't been picked up by an agent for whatever reason they've been doing it 15 20 years they're better than someone who's been doing it five years let's put them on TV and see what they can do well it, uh, because I think 99 times out of 100 they're probably shit you know, you, you, uh, if, if, I mean, there are, I can't think of all that many that I think are, you go, oh, I'd put them on telly. Nobody's ever heard of them. But, um, yeah. you know, I, I, well, I, I, think, I think there are, but I think the problem is who? that... Name uh, names. No. Uh, Name names. No, I'm not going to. Why? But I think it's, unf- I, I think the problem is that anyone who's been around any length of time who hasn't progressed up the ladder, people are nervous... In industry people, producers, whatever, television, radio, whatever, are nervous that this person hasn't got enough drive, can't write enough material, hasn't got enough ambition. I think that's part of the problem, and they will be investing a lot of time and their reputation in those people. I think that's part of the problem. And to move stand-up into TV, which is a different yeah. genre. It's okay if you're on a panel show, that is basically stand-up. And, then, and obviously, that's, you can understand why they want new people for that. Well, I, I'll give you an example. Marcus Bergman. I said I wouldn't name anybody. Yeah. He's been around a very long time. He's excellent. He always rocks a room. No, he rocks a room. They love him. Absolutely love him. But if you're in television and you suggest someone and he fails on television, it's your fault. Yes. If you suggest someone and he fails and he's got awards, then it's not your fault. No, it's it's a yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> is, is that really the way? Is that the way that TV people see it? That if, if they if someone it's they fails, see it, it's an okay. unconscious thing. It's a you know you, it's, you know, it's preservation. Yeah. Preservation. People are preserving their careers. Yeah. <laughs> also, the people who win awards are good. Let's not forget that as well. Always saying why not picking these people. I think. Can I just say we're not downplaying awards in any way. We're trying to just. Assess whether they, outside the bubble of Edinburgh, actually are worth taking seriously, or if they contribute to a career path for that performance. I think, well, like a lot, a lot will say be picked up by Radio Four. It's a narrative thing that can be chunked into yeah. half an hour, so that's like a next step. It's quite easy if you're Bridget Christie, say that that well, show makes a nice Radio Four show mm-hmm. off the peg, mm-hmm. got an award. What, um, victory there so you know it's alright so they can help in that way I think I think it's sometimes it depends on the person because there are loads of people who 
have won, say, the Perrier or the If Dot Comedy or the Fosters or the whatever it became, and they haven't gone on to anything. You, of course, you go Bridget Christie because when she won it, it was oh look, it's Stuart Lee's wife, and she's a raging feminazi, you know, and she's a woman, and she's won the Perrier. There was a lot else going on, mm. but there's quite, you know, mm. can't, I can't. They didn't change Phil Nichols' life, and it didn't change yeah. Brendan Burns' life. And it, you know, who remembers Los Trios from Barcas? I think Lana and Woodley. Who? Yeah. Woodley, who we, won in 80... But they, they had a big career in the state. They had a big career in the state, so... But, you know, they got... You, Somebody very clever once said, uh, "It's not enough to be talented. You have to be. You have to have a talent for your talent." Well, and I think what, do we, what's going to happen with Richard Gadd this year? Because he doesn't. Does he fit into a neat box, a neat marketable box? I was chatting to him the other day. On, we were just having because he's coming on a different podcast I'm working on. And my other podcast is where I interview them now and then interview them in a year's time with the questions they left, and then they ask themselves it. And he was like, "I don't know if I'm going to have a good year. I don't know if this mm. is going to last. I just mm. I don't know what's going to happen." <laughs> and I don't I don't know how comfortable he's saying. I might have to ask him when mm. I get off this, but it's the same thing with most comedians where they're like I've got the award I might have got a run at the Soho where does that leave me after that where do I go from there and it comes down to you saying when you talk about sorry Hills where you talk about a five year plan I suppose there's there's conflicting issues there because uh, would you say that having a plan is even something you can do in this industry after a certain point because it's so random it gives you objectives and milestones to work towards so you don't just sort of sit around doing open spot gigs for longer than you strictly need to and then you spend five years living in perpetual disappointment and then you get depression and do an Edinburgh <laughs> show about it we've solved it right ah yeah so the five year plan is useful but I mean lots of people in comedy do have five year plans and we were saying before that boy with tape in his face Sam's got a 15 year plan yeah, and well, good luck had. with that. Well, no, but he always has had, and it's not doing, he's near to a million dollars and a run at Vegas, so there you go. It's maybe not always but, just talent. But was that his plan? Like, all yeah, that exactly. Was, that was part of his plan. Not Being on that, America's Got not, Talent not was on his 15-year plan. Well, what, no, that isn't how you decide to put, to put a five-year, 15-year or a five-year plan together. You put benchmarks, you put things that you want to be doing, you want to be doing Vegas, you want to be doing this, and then as you move, as you move through your plan and you add more at the end and you're ticking off stuff at the bottom, then you can start defining more exactly what those things are. That's how What's your five-year plan, Barry? To get this <laughs> pub done. Just a venue, yeah. my, my five-year plan. I think that as a performer, the most important thing is to be a bit creatively free. And to be creatively free, you've got to have a place where you can perform that isn't necessarily at other people's turf. So it's not in other, in other clubs, which is why I started my own club. My five-year plan was to start my own club that was solid enough so that I could go on stage any night that I want in front of a full audience of people that might be there or might not be there. But an actual audience rather than three people and a dog, which is a, what open mic gigs are. And I can experiment and do things that I, 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 I want to do and grow as a comedian and I'm kind of coming to the end of that kind of five year stretch but that was my initial five year plan which is why I'm we're in this venue right now and it's why Angel Comedy came together and then the next stretch is to actually kind of invest and I've been able to invest in being a comedian and get better while I'm doing that but the next stretch is to really go as deep as possible into different techniques and go like have a year where I'm going deeply into act outs and learning how to do those more methodically and so really detailed going to well um, you're not in comedy you wouldn't understand John (laughs) (laughs) but but, uh, really go deeply into technique and and rather than tell us about an act out an an act out is something that you would do um, if you look at say um, who who does them brilliantly Richard Pryor 
You look at live in concert. Richard Pryor is constantly taking on people in his life, yeah. and it's it's almost like it, it, you can, if you're a good mimic or if you're a good, you have good voice, but you can also do it physically. Daniel Simonson trained at Lecoq, and he does things so physically, he does it with a real subtlety in the physicality that he uses. And so when he's playing a character, you might not, he not might not seem or sound differently, but the audience really pick up on that being a different character. And people like if you look at somebody like Bill Burr, Bill Burr has also deliberately gone through his career. If you look at every single special. There's a different style and different technique that he's using each of the specials and I think there is as as somebody that has certain talents more easily than others like I'm very good at relating to an audience that is something that is kind of in in my palette at the moment my as well as doing that and leveraging that and being good at that my plan is to get good at those things that offer more resistance a lot more difficult for me and to actually break them down and become become well, good you, so, are, you ought to go and talk to Will Franken he's awfully <laughs> good at that yeah absolutely absolutely and that is that is part of what uh, personally and I I totally encourage other comedians to do this is to go to the people that are really good and say listen here is some money can I study with you and and you know like Will Franklin studied with uh, Robin Williams so I was at Throckmorton Theatre in San Francisco Will, I was over there last year Will put me in touch with them and it was just after Robin Williams died but everybody loved Will and Will studied with Robin and Robin was heck amazing at Act House like he was such his mind was so kind of quick but he was so good at embodying a person embodying a, a voice on stage and you can really see the direct correlation between the two of them. but in that same way of like personally if I see somebody that's good like we've got the pyjama men coming here and teaching like they're phenomenal like, characterisation so if you see somebody doing something good and there aren't that many people doing things good that you can kind of put a pin on like go to them find out like because there's no mentoring in comedy so for me anyway my five year plan is to get I'm good but to get as good as I can possibly get and to refine that rather than necessarily what Hills was saying anyway sorry go on yeah I'm, sorry I'm talking to so rather than say sorry Hills mic technique is dreadful <laughs> <laughs> also to have that element of a five year plan as well as the industry element of a five year plan and being aware that I can't be in just this space so I've got to be going to other spaces and like I'm playing the Comedia twice this week you know making sure I'm in at the Glee making sure I'm in at the club circuit and making sure that I'm going to auditions as well and having that balance but being creatively free was my five year plan here and that's where I am so that answers I that. wonder the what what oh him the angry drunk he, he's brilliant at being very kind of so dismissive he breaks people and then I think 5% of people come out more creatively brilliant because of it and the 95% that are kind of like carnage you never do comedy again and we won and we go oh look at the 5% they're amazing rather than seeing the devastation that he leaves behind like public them. schools though yeah, I know. It's sounds like a good thing. I mean, that's a good thing. It sorts the wheat from the chaff. I mean, it's the man that went to public school. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. No. Uh, I also wonder if that is the five-year plan. That's that's the more commercial side of it, the more yeah. business side but of it. Is that, if business, that is, isn't it? But I also wonder if that is that is the thing that's contributing to what Kofsik was saying earlier about the sludge. People have got their five-year plan. Say, I must have my hour in three years. I must have another hour in four years. Another hour in five years. And people don't have that in it, so they use but, the I formula. Mean, a five-year plan is only a guide. No, but, but people, people will have on their five-year plan. I will do my first yeah. Edinburgh show yeah. after three years, won't they? They'll have that on their plan. That's yeah. that's kind of a basic thing they'll have. I, I found so this year, for example. Uh, one, of the, one of the reasons why I didn't go and see as many shows was because I and, and it's something me and Barry were talking about beforehand and I, I can't remember your exact analogy you were saying I'd watch too much porn do you remember what you were saying? <laughs> <laughs> let me, let I was just telling yeah, you no, is it possible to watch too much porn? I was at this point at this point I deny all knowledge of what <laughs> this conversation I think this was a dream you were having so <laughs> yeah. um, gone you're a dream I have Barry no the 
No, but the, the reason I didn't go to stuff was because I sort of knew what I was going to get from that. So I sort of knew they were going to come back and they were going to be great or they were going to do something really good, but I knew roughly what was going to be in the show and how they were going to present it. And as a result, I sort of didn't feel like I needed to go and see it again, even if they were going to talk about something interesting or new that they hadn't talked about before. I just kind of knew what you, I was going to get. You named a particular act. Are you comfortable doing that? Because that was... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't mind naming the acts because we can all name the acts if we want to. Um, so James Acaster, I saw, I've seen him the last couple of years and I chat with some. I'm not going to mention who that was, but I did chat mm. with someone close to them. And in their team? In their team. And I did say the only reason I'm not going is because I kind of know from what other people have told me he's doing a show in the same style he's always done. Mm. Well, that I always well that's interesting. That's where journalists and you sort of differ. Well, he was... At, I'm sure, pure coincidence, he was actually the first show I saw in Edinburgh this year because we looking for because we're thinking who's going to be a contender for the award he was obviously because of these nominations we had to see him he was an yeah. absolute high priority yeah, even though we knew yeah. we, <laughs> even though we knew yeah is he going to do it? he's not going to do anything different I, I, but no, that's I, not a reason not funny, to see him I think he's great I just I just thought to myself mm. I want to go and see someone else instead well of time is tight yeah, yeah I mean you know, that's, that's the difference but, but, you know, you're a reviewer so yeah, yeah. you've got you've got particular mm. objectives whereas you know, Simon and I and, and Barry mm. and probably John for that matter. We can choose what we go and see. So we wouldn't we won't necessarily go and see those shows that we think we can predict what they're going to be like. Mm. We'll wait, and if there is a buzz about them, then we'll go and see them in week two. No, mm. I'm with I'm with Simon. I was like James E. Custer. Mm. No, probably not. Because uh, it's been it's totally boring. Because it's been it's been it's fine and it's kind of clever and it's like. Do you have the freedom to choose what you? Go yes, to? I do. Oh, well, that's that's a different thing do, then. Yeah. Yes, I do. You have the freedom to go, or, or you contractually obliged, Steve. So you still have the way if someone buys an ad, they they. Yeah, well, that's that's like six over the whole festival. Yeah. Sure, so try and get a snapshot of the whole festival. So you're seeing the people who are likely to win awards who are going to be brilliant you're trying to see some of the new people as well and the people who are on the cusp interesting so you're trying to see like as much as you can as I see like 130 out of the thousand that are there a question that kept coming up when I posted around was how come some shows get 10 reviews and some get none like shouldn't it be shouldn't there be more of a spread of if a reviewers if five reviewers have seen a show none of the others will go they'll go and find something else well I think it's weird because there are the publications that see absolutely everything the sort of the, the three weeks and the student publications that see everything so you thought that at least everyone should get one or two of them then the nationals will only see people who are super famous or super hot anyway there's kind of a small number of people in the middle and I think we're all in this room who are looking for the interesting things in the middle and coming up so there's not that many looking for the mid-level stuff that hasn't got a lot of buzz and I think comedians think that there's some conspiracy amongst Mm -hmm. critics that we all get together at the end of July and put uh, together a list together of who we're going to review we all kind of you know we we might have well well, we all think on the same lines I think I think we all kind of as Steve said you know we all we've, we've got to see a caster we've got to see Nish Kumar the people that were nominated last year we know people that have won awards like Bilal Zafar or the people that have done stuff at Amuse Moose that have got a buzz about them because again sorry I use the word awards actually but yeah people that have been nominated and shortlisted for other awards we want to see so there's a natural kind of you know we can sort of justify everyone we saw basically you know there's a reason why we've reviewed certain shows and not other shows the cops that you want to see over 300 seats or something yeah well I mean I, I, I'm that's absolutely not how I choose I won't go and see anything in it and also somebody out of the Scotsman so. will cover that so the publication has got the, the, the space I mean covered, I, I don't yeah. go and see anybody famous I don't how go how and do you define fame how are you define are you just anyone who's on TV well like, like telly people okay. and people with massive posters mm. and anyone in over at the absolute outside of 400 seater because I don't think that's so, fringe so if they've bought a massive poster you won't go and see them <laughs> yeah so even if it's someone who isn't on TV hasn't got an agent doing a 50 seater at Just the Caves that's just not he, then he's not going to buy he or she is not going to buy a massive poster they'd be insane 
Same, same. Okay, so, um, and I, I, che- I tend not to go and see people with big PR. What I do, my email is out there. I'm on Facebook. As you just get in touch with me direct, tell me about the show. So there's that. Uh, and, and even from that, you can tell. The people that send you the kind of, you know, like I've got a five-year plan, industry standard, hoping this finds you well type of pitch, using all the buzzwords and whatnot, and I'll decide whether or not. I went to see Kieran Boy because he got in touch, and the girl who was, he had like a mate who was helping him with PR, and she went, I don't know if you've heard about him, but he is one of the few working stand-ups today who's actually not a cunt mm-hmm. okay well that, that's quite a good recommendation that's a, that's a great pitch you know I could, go, I could go with that so it, it's people who have idiosyncrasy people who sound like people and not fucking comedy industry machines so if they've got PR you'll see them so, so I and I, say that people were nodding when you said that <laughs> um, I don't like you know I don't like big PR I have never in my life gone to see a show because of PR and I sometimes don't go and see shows because of PR and in fact coincidentally Peter White who I saw in the brochure and I thought that sounds quite interesting he's Canadian which for me is a plus I rarely see terrible Canadian comics you you just don't tend to get terrible Canadian comics which is a sweeping generalisation and Pete Johansson said he was really good so I thought great that's fine I think Pete Johansson's fantastic slightly less so after I saw his show this year and he had a complete hissy meltdown turned into a girl more or less burst into tears and then met me outside and said I thought I told everybody I didn't want to review not quite as campy as that anyway went I'd already decided to go and see Peter White and then his PR said oh I've got to go and see Peter White I've got to go and see Peter White it's an incredible show an incredible show I'm like, well I think he's on my list already yeah yeah it's um, domestic abuse I'm like, okay <laughs> that sounds interesting domestic it's a domestic abuse <laughs> domestic abuse from man's what point of view point? and I thought okay that sounds quite interesting so I thought it's not what it sounded like you know in the in the, the hoo-ha so I go along and I'm sitting there with five other people Match House in the, five other people and he's doing his first bit which was uh, about uh, sex I think and it was alright but it wasn't great then he did his bit about racism which was phenomenal and he was having a gig from hell uh, but I'm looking at my watch and we're 40 minutes in and I'm thinking somebody should be hitting somebody by now <laughs> you know there should be blood on the floor by now if not a hospital visit or something. And then about 45 minutes, he tells us the story of... That's where he did the, um, I'm going to do a personal bit now because I've been told you've got to do a personal bit in an Edinburgh show. I thought, well, you haven't got very much time to start beating your girlfriend up, have you? <laughs> and, uh, and then it was uh, basically his... Um, his ex-girlfriend had threatened to commit suicide every time he wanted to leave her. And thank you very much. And I thought, well... Well, fuck right off. If I'd gone along purely on the basis, you know, I would not, I'm not averse to a bit of blood and violence and abuse in my comedy. You know, if I, well, you know, if I, uh, well, actually, you know, um, I, uh, if it's the right kind of abuse, if I'd gone along purely on the basis of the PR Mm. bump to see a show about domestic abuse with a unique slant given that it was from the male point of view I'd have been walking out 20 minutes in what with the you know lack of blood so I never 
believe what PRs say. I never go because of PRs. I go despite PRs. And I just go and I listen to people in bars. Mm-hmm. I listen to what other people are yeah. saying. I listen to what comics are saying. That's yeah. It's funny why people get 10 reviews. We all say, who have you seen? And you go, oh, we going to see this guy. Yeah, yeah you talk to people in queues. They yeah. say queues and bars and asking sometimes other comics that you, you rely on. And then you, you discount maybe their mates because mm-hmm. you know they're going to say, oh, so and so But you say, who else? And then they will start telling you the ones that they actually do really like. And that can be very informative you know there are there are a few people that i would always go and see if they're doing a show i would always go and see peter buckley hill when he's doing a show because i know it's going to be weird and creative and it's almost certainly going to be fabulous and quite possibly the best thing i see all month and because i know most other people don't go and review peter buckley hills and i went this year actually completely i I was so depressed that i was just wondering with me i was living with with, (laughs) that i was just kind of wandering along your own depression show. <laughs> it's it's I was just wandering along the cowgate and I thought I just I can't bear going to see another fucking white middle class boy wittering on about he's at, how he's had a bit more, or even fucking Bethany Black who's a good comic opening line ah oh, 2012 was a bad year I don't care Bethany you're here you're in fucking Doctor Who you're working on the BBC get over it move on get the fuck out my face and stop you don't do a show about it I've not seen that show I don't it's yeah. dull it's very dull <laughs> I want to know what changed. I want to know the show that changed changed to that. You said you're walking along. Yeah, I was on. And um, uh, was oh, yeah, I was just thinking. Oh, I just I can't. I can't bear it. And Kerry Marks. Flyered me, brilliant. He flyered me for his own show. Not some fucking team. Not some juvenile offender that he's got on a you know work scheme. Not a PR person. Him. And it was great. And I went, and, oh. and I went to see the show, and it was fucking brilliant. It did not why. have a theme. No. It, not really. It was an hour of funny fucking stuff mm. from a bloke who looks like one of these inflatable beds that's got stuck being de-inflated halfway down. It, it, it was brilliant. It was wonderful. And I left thinking, oh, I remember stand-up comedy. Yes, yes. And, and it was just this, wonderful. That's what I think <coughs> is one of the issues about feeling bored or, or whatever. I think there are so many comedians, like not so many, but there are certainly quite a lot of comedians that are as amazing as Kerry Marks. And they don't have a profile on TV. And they take up shows every year. And certainly I can think of a couple of recent Kerry shows that are just phenomenal, just been absolutely masterclasses. And I know that the, he, the last one did transfer to radio um, about his heart attack. Intensive Kerry. Uh, intensive yeah. Kerry. And, but in terms of being legitimately kind of like available for an award I think he would come into that category but at no point was he registered for the main award I don't know if he did with didn't yours but he d- yeah and, you know, but I'm sure entry. he would have been he would have been but certain people discount I think because if people have been up for a while you kind oh. of discount mm-hmm. in your Wait, head someone like, like, it, someone like yeah. Tom Stade who is just mm-hmm. you know so many people absolutely adore and mm. I you know or like they don't yeah. enter the radar, no, the awards it, radar. It's also that bounce I get about, like, if, you, if James Acaster comes for 10 more years, you're going to start going, well, I don't really need to see James Acaster. because Phil Nichols. Maybe. Phil, yeah, well, Phil Nichols does inventive shows every year. But yeah, you, he does something quite but you, but you, you, you tend to kind of see every one, one every third one or something, yeah. just to remind yourself yes. how good he is. You yes. don't necessarily feel like you see every one but of them. That, that's, a, that's a problem, though, isn't it, in the sense that if you're skipping out on things, it could, I mean, what... But what do you do? You're trying to see new stuff. You're trying to see the stuff that's been around 10 years and is brilliant. You're trying to see... But that's the big issue, you know. is because is, is one of the other things that kept coming up in questions was the, the way that PRs are working and the way that 
people are buying, essentially buying your attention, and I'm using that broadly about everyone who's in the room. It's filtering out certain people who can't afford that pull of attention, if that makes sense. They're not, PRs who, who, you know, really work their hours and get your attention to a certain degree are going to mean that you get less time to reply to emails or reply to people who can't afford that, who can't afford posters or, or whatever it would be. I don't reply to any emails coming to my show at the Freelance, just too many of them. I, th- I <laughs> PR, uh, PRs, I think, make no difference to me, probably. I mean, it's hard to say exactly, but because you see the names around and stuff, but generally you're choosing because they're acts. I see acts like four days a week, fifty weeks of the year. So people I know are around. I want to see them. Cops is the same. Most people is the same. Mm. They, it's not all about. Oh, I haven't got a PR. I haven't got. There's lots of people mm. who spent the money on PR and not getting the shows yeah, really I, either, and yeah. they wasted their money. I mean, yeah. I mean, what worried me this year, I had a. I think the trouble is PRs were a bit more insidious. So we we all sit here saying we hate them and we try not to read their press releases and we try not to go to the shows but it shows again but I, on that very first night I, I arrived in Edinburgh at 6 o'clock the only show I'd booked into on my way up was James Acaster I had to see James okay. anyway I went to the Pleasance and saw him came out at 8.30 I thought well I can't go back to my room now I've only just arrived I can't go home now what else is on I looked at the things that are on I thought, and I looked at all the names and the name that jumped out was Michelle Wolf. and I thought yeah I remember reading a piece Brian Logan did something about Michelle Wolf, hot new American political comedian I'll go and see her I had no idea who the PR was uh, <laughs> Blah blah blah. Of course, sure enough, it was impressive. You know, and I don't read impressive. Are probably the you know my least favourite of all the PRs. I try not to read their press releases. You know, I glance at their list of acts. But somewhere along the line, Mm. it it seeped in Mm. there that you know, and I saw. But then on the other hand, she was also good. She did get a nomination for an award. But you went to see because Brian Lowe. Yeah, well, yeah, but you know, it wasn't the PR asking me to go. It was Brian Logan might have picked it up because of Mel. Of course. Exactly, there'd been a bit of a pre-festival buzz about Michelle yeah, Wolfe. Yeah, yeah. Also, the fact she works on the Daily Show is a sort of good enough yeah. baseline. Like, oh, it's someone we've not heard of before. She's got discretion because she did get nominated for an award. She was good. So, Awards the only vindication. Well, that if yeah. <laughs> Oh, you want? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm trying to get to the bottom of this because, from an outsider, from a, from a comedian's point of view, it feels like, to a certain degree, if you don't have PR, you won't get coverage. But it might be a case of that's a uh, correlation doesn't equal causation type effect. We're no. looking at it and going. Mm. You know, now that's that's just comics trying to find another reason to blame something that's not them doing a very average show. Do you really? It, it, it gets me so. How, how many shows do you guys go to that you just don't review because you, you're like, there's no point in even working on a write that. No, I write everything you I write say. Everything. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Pretty well, if it's much. bad, if it's terrible, I probably won't. If yeah. it's not great, <laughs> no, I won't review I'm it. Pretty I'm pretty much right. that many shows that are that. Well, exactly, because the filtering process is, you know, you don't, you know, I have to be honest, I don't don't see that many shows that are complete unknown quantities to mm. me. I'll know them, even if it's just Some reading Chortle or something, I'll know something yeah, about something. them, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I try and see at least 20 shows that just look what the fuck's all this about and crazy and I deliberately look out for small shows in weird venues mm. and I la- and I went to see a thing called Foil which was in the comedy section yes. but it was a it was a, a, a little play uh, set in a hairdresser's yeah. 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 so hair, hairdresser's shop and the company had taken over a hairdresser's shop nice. uh, on Clark Street I thought how marvellous I can go along they hadn't got any help or any, you know I could maybe help them and of course they were absolutely mobbed they were, they were pretty much I mean I think they only sat about 30 but they were they were kind of selling out but I, I really I met so many acts this year that I paid 2,000 quid for PR and it hadn't helped them get bums on seats it hadn't helped anything and I, I really think 
comics need to stop looking for excuses mm. why people aren't coming to their show or why reviewers aren't coming to their show. Just it's not anybody else's fault. I, I think mean, a lot of them also rely on on the on flyers from their production companies. Yeah, and and that you know crazy. I mean, I can go. They don't give a fuck. I have flyed this year and it worked brilliantly. Yeah, and I thoroughly enjoyed it because I I liked what I was flyering. The debate I had with uh, Paul Whedon Red Twenty Four recently was whether flyering is making a difference because he said that he's noticed a drop off in the flyering, and I said uh, like. Was it the axe flyering or was it a flyering team? And he was saying, I've got great flyers, I work with them for years. I would say if you fly yourself, it's more likely that you mm. get somewhere. Ian Stone. Oh, yes. Ian Stone used to fly only about three or four years ago okay. in, the, in the high street like area in Cowgate. Yeah. 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 It, it, it makes all the difference. All the difference. It makes a difference on two levels, I think. One, it's lovely for the person to be flyered by the act. On your, come see my show. Come see my show. You mm. think, oh, that's lovely. Then, when you do go, you've already got a relation the act already has a relationship with his audience they're there because you you know I'm there because you asked me which means I must like you a bit for some reason and she's pointing at <laughs> you know and if you point at me and go oh glad to see you got in out the rain or whatever fantastic we're already mates and the whole the whole dynamic of the gig is helped by flyering for yourself I don't think see for me I love I, well actually it depends on my mood but most of the time I love flyering simply because I feel like I'm starting a story or a relationship yeah. with that audience member I like the fact that and I stand at the door a lot of comedians ask why I stand at the door of every gig I do to say hi to everyone it's because I really? Them. yeah that's a bit intense well no no just to say hi thanks for coming they come through yeah no, just as they're coming in I'm just like hi thanks for kind of a it's a bit much like a relationship <laughs> <laughs> he follows them home too <laughs> I'm quite neat I'm quite I don't know if you've noticed this <laughs> Maybe it's holding. What's holding you back? <laughs> Maybe you're scaring them off. <laughs> We'll get to my career at some point. But I, another, another common thread of questioning was something that you touched on a minute ago, which was if the fringe is becoming, uh, well, if it's press festival pricing out a certain type of comedian that can't afford to go up because of the cost of venues and the cost of. So we're not talking about PRs now, we're just talking about the, the base cost of staying in there for a month. And you rent your land and accommodation out, is how you do it. You, what, what, if you, yeah, then you make a profit. If you, yeah. <laughs> well, you've got somewhere well, in London, you, you can you, rent you, well, you may, may not make a profit, but you should cover your costs. Airbnb and stuff, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's a lot of you, people who've said that it's. It's uh, basically a white middle class playground at this point. It's, it's a case of there's a yeah, like, but, but that's, surely less so because of free fringe now. Surely, surely it's actually. less the case. Now I read my flat out when I go to Edinburgh. Because it occurred to me about four, five or five, six years ago that there was my flat empty in central London and I was paying 1800 2000 2500 pounds for a flat for me and a couple of people. And I thought, this is madness. So if I can do it, I'm sure anyone else can do it. No, Just absolutely. And also, go to the free fucking fringe. Don't yeah. get a PR. Yeah. Don't... Pay for thousands of posters that are only going to be postered over. And do pointless. 1,000 flyers or 2,000. Don't print 5,000. No, exactly. Only save 20 quid, but it's it's a saving. Yeah. And, you know, flyer yourself. Just, Just pretend like... It's a fringe festival. <laughs> you know, it's not your first Vegas fucking run. It is a fringe festival and do it like a fringe festival and you will be fine. A, a lot of the bigger venues, and we're going we're to refer to them as the big four, even though I'm not a particular fan of that. Like, yeah, don't go there. It, I'm, no, a lot of the big four, in, in the perspective of comedians, it makes it out like... Uh, I mean, the venues sometimes make you feel like you're more important than you are when you're going mm. out there to sign up for those things. Do you know what I mean? Because you're signing up for this big sort of 
venue that's got so many facilities and you're, 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 you're not taking it up for a fringe, you're taking it up to be a place. Yeah, well, if you're going to let your ego run away with you, then fuck you. Well, that's like the big posters, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's like the big posters. And, and, the, and the sides of taxes and everything. It's just ego. Yeah, and there is nothing more dangerous, more likely to lose you a shitload of money than being a small act in a big venue. They really are not going to look after you that well because they've got bigger fish to fry and if by the end of the first week you're not getting a lot of buzz about you, then you're on your own. And you you can die on your arse in a turret in the gilded balloon or in a hut at the Pleasance or, and nobody or a, will know. Room. Or, and nobody will know. And that will be your fucking fault. Baby comic, go to the baby comic nursery, which is a wonderful place. It's the free fringe. Mm. Nobody knows you. Don't fucking go and play with the big boys because they wouldn't spit on you if you were on fire. You know, even the, the people like it on that first night when Bruce had just come out of James Acaster's perfectly predictable show <laughs> uh, and was looking for something else to see. That's his title for next year. He didn't, he didn't look up at the birds in the Pleasance and go, that's somebody I've never heard of. I might give him a chance. He went, I'll go and do a bit of star fucking. Michelle Wolf's doing a show. And also for my scenes, I didn't go beyond the Pleasance. I was just well, stuck in the courtyard, you know. But, but if you'd seen, my, my you know, Johnny Mediocre, well, then, you know, you're not going to go... I do like... I, I, I think it's... The Free Fringe is absolutely brilliant for that reason. Like, you know, it, 2007, it wasn't as, as prevalent mm. as it is now. and But since 2007, it's growing. I know it's technically started in 2004, but the fact that you can go up and experiment is just... Uh, and at not so much cost. The cost of rent or mm. the cost yeah. of the difference between renting. I think that's hugely important. But I think the reason why people often go for PRs and go for posters is about just the pressure put upon people to succeed. And I, I, I see this everywhere in society, but the difference between success and being good is a golf often people can succeed and they're good at what they do like James Acaster is great at what he does I feel like picking on him quite I'm certainly not because he's brilliant at what he does I think and, he's and I don't think and we're not punching and we're not punching up no, or down no, no. we're using him as an example but I'm, I'm just kind of saying that people will then go to him because he's got an audience mm. and the people that go to him like him and it's a, it's a positive feedback loop. so you've got people that are going to come along and enjoy what he does but you're not going to take so many risks on Jake yeah. but it's not a success if you spent all that money on posters and you're getting two and three star reviews across Precisely. the board with a mediocre show because you felt like you ought to do it. Precisely, and that's the difference. That's the divide. The difference between success and actually getting good. But I think it, how do you is, define success? Surely, success but is being it. really good at what you do. And that's not how people. That's not how people perceive success. But, but well, in that case, people are wrong, and they need to change the way they perceive success. I, I think I'm talking about not just performers, but kind of you know, it's, it's in the water. Us as well. It's like you know, or producers. I mean, you know, Bruce was saying earlier. Of like, and then I was proved out because they won an award. A, an award doesn't necessarily prove anything, but our idea of success is pinned to awards. Mm-hmm. And like you'll know, Heels, from seeing so many shows mm-hmm. from like, you know, the, the, the top 20 or top 10 are all brilliant shows. Mm-hmm. Top 30. You know, top 30. Mm-hmm. They're all brilliant shows and there's not much to tell between them. And it's, it's often about the mood that you go in with or what the, what's in the air. That, But it was, it was like what um, uh, Steve was saying about James. It's like it's a brilliant show every time. But there are so many brilliant shows out there and often it's about marginal gains and it's like what the British uh, cycling team kind of say it's like you don't have to be 50% faster than anyone else you have to be 0.01% better and, and I think that sometimes the posters and the PR give you a marginal gain that is if you're at the elite though. I think if, yes. if, you're, if you're elite that makes a difference if you're just what's your name Johnny Ordinary Johnny Mediocre Johnny, Johnny Mediocre yeah uh, it's, it's not you're literally just making a loss for yourself by losing all that money I, 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 
psychological. I'm not aware, isn't it? A performer might be psychologically feeling better about things if he sees his face about. Yeah. We know that. Then he gets the bill and gets depressed and writes the next show. Yeah. In September. Yeah. Initially, it gives him a boost until maybe it doesn't work. I mean, the critical time is that second weekend. That's when I've had. I had when I produced shows a while back. Someone actually went to bed. The only time she got out of bed was to go and do a show. Right. So depressed. And of course, the audience numbers went down and down and down. Then she complained. He went, "Well, it's because you're not flyering. Your mood and your attitude is is uh, it's no good. It's not working." It's a negative feedback. Oh yeah. A lot of people. What PRs and what posters sell is dreams, and they're not just Mm. selling the dreams to the public. They're selling the. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost fifty pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Median streams, mm. and that's what you're paying for. You're paying for the investment in, oh, like I am somebody, I am. Yeah, I mean, that we're back to, I want to be a princess when I grow up. <laughs> How did you know? I do something on our plans. But I mean, you, uh, and I'm not picking on you, Barry, here, but I just want to ask Oh, go on. Yeah, a little bit of picking on Barry. No, but last, last year, was it last year you did the Barry experience? That was uh, the year before last year. Okay, so How quickly they forget. So, yeah, so, I know. Yeah, well, I don't know. I came, I came, I came, I came to see the bad experience. I was there. Very good. Uh, yes, and, but I'm saying you you put up big uh, billboards. I did. I yeah. You had you had you had you, you, say, self-holding like letters, and it was. Oh, like I had big, one billboard. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And how, how did you, did you, was that, what was the reason? That, well, I wasn't meant to have a big billboard. Uh, what was happening, I was meant to have one small poster that somebody I was working with at the time who ended up not uh, working with convinced me to do against my better judgment. <laughs> and I, I didn't, I think it was £250. I was like, oh, okay, I'll take two of these, fine, if you think it's important. But, um, and then I ended up not working with that person. But then that, those two didn't end up working out and they went, oh, but I've got this big one. And it was a, but to be honest, I don't think that in any way helped and I mean it was a night for me it was a nice thing oh there's a big poster of me and it's quite central 
but I wouldn't have chosen to do that. Like I wouldn't choose to put an advert in the magazine mm. anymore. I think 15 years ago it might have been a useful mm. thing to do. Whereas now the magazine is so big and everything gets lost and yeah. everyone finds so you on an app go anyway. Goes well. go, go online precisely. So I, yes, I did. But I mean, in my in my experience of that, it was nominal because. But it was you know, it's nice to see your face up there and you go, oh, that's important. And yeah, I, my, my I kind of, the reason why the reason why my show was busy in 2014, that I like to tell myself is that people enjoyed it, and then I, a lot of people came back and bought friends, and that's why Angel Comedy works because it's a good thing. You know, that's what promo- good promotion is, as far as I'm concerned. That's what success is. Yeah, it's people enjoying it and telling their friends and coming back. You, you can be a good promoter in inverted commas just because you're good. Adverts I ever saw in Edinburgh. There was Tim Vines with a massive poster saying Tim Tim Vine is not not appearing in Edinburgh this year, yeah, which right, promoted yeah. Tim Vine wonders. Yeah, precisely. It's funny. It's good. It's out there. But the you know and being fun and playful with things, there is a lot a lot more fun. Like having you know stickers that says this belongs to Lionel Richie all yeah. over the place. It's, it's just still fun. there, still there. Yeah, it's, still there. <laughs> but it's fun because it creates a, an idea that people laugh at, and I think that's much more important than you want to affect people emotionally before they come in in a positive way. And if you do that through flyering, or if you do that through a funny little <coughs> sticker, or if you do that through a, a pen, or if you do that through meeting them and making them laugh, or them having seen you before, I think that's the only thing that really works. But in people's heads, a poster will do that as well because it's got your face on it, and they go, "Oh, look at that!" and then same way that Bruce said I'd heard that name before a big poster is the first often the first thing of, oh I've heard that name where have I heard that name oh I'll go see them and you don't know why but it's in the water well, something, something that I have got to explain a lot when, in my day job with social media is the difference between old school buying a poster on the underground for a brand and investing in a communication channel on the internet with your audience because they can they can sell an advert on, on a poster and they'll be told by the underground 20,000 people will walk past it and it will look great number wise for their boss above them but how many people are going to go and buy that car for example mm. whereas if they invest in a great advertising campaign online where they explain why the car's great why it's safety records amazing why, whatever it may be then they're more likely to have it in their head and have actual facts that they've invested in and a conversation that they've they've had which means they've started a relationship with that person that means they're more likely to go oh I need a car or I need a comedian now I'll go with the one that I trust and I know and and I suppose posters are the, the cheapest easiest advertising way of them not making an effort <coughs> cheapest mm. <laughs> no 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 it's the cheapest way of them not making an effort because because like we talked about before and, sorry, cheapest way of not making an effort well no, no here's the reason why I say it like that is because any other way you make an effort is you taking more time to invest in a person and seeing as your time is your most valuable asset you, you, the cheapest and easiest way of doing it is getting a poster design and just put it printing yeah, but the misnomer is that the effort is... I mean, if you've got enough money to spunk on posters, that's fine. But, like, a, an effort is people will pa- work for a month to pay the £2,000 to have five of their big posters around town. That's a lot more effort and time than actually just going out and flyering that mm. month. John's got something to say. Shh. I was going to say there's a big complication with those big posters. In London, there are massive posters advertising TV programmes, but they're not actually paid for, for out of the promotion department promoting the programmes. They're, they're paid for out of the marketing department marketing the TV channel. And mm. I think in Edinburgh, a lot, a lot of the publicity that's got out of the massive posters isn't for the artist mm. it's for the for the company that's marketing them so the market the, the, the big, live nation the, yeah, the, the big agencies are, are, it's worth big agencies paying for the or getting their artists to pay for those yeah. 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 so, so the, the big agencies will persuade you to have a large poster because it promotes them not you maybe mm. in terms of um, so Bruce and Steve you were saying before about how you select going to shows because you've sort of seen someone or, you, or, you've, or you've a couple of times heard of someone or whatever or that kind of thing how do you find your link between the, the normal circuit and, and Edinburgh is so like 
how often are you are you scouting for things to look for when you're going to Edinburgh at clubs or are you not doing that because they're doing 15 to 20 minute spots so that's a completely different skill set to an hour I mean, you see a lot less club stuff than I used to because that's how the industry's kind of gone to the one man show so it's more it's probably more of the new app competitions the new yeah. app nights um, where people have been sort of been pre-filtered a bit for you so you're seeing best of the newcomers so you'll see 12 people in one night and three were lodging your brains going, well, check them out in Edinburgh yeah. What, what, yeah I think that's the thing isn't it those, mm. those sort of competitions just seeing people who would just seem to be on the cusp of getting to the point where they might start getting paid gigs those are the ones yeah. who their careers might move forward and as you say rem- remember their names the interesting thing I don't know about you but I consciously forget some of the names as well more, more often than not yeah. you know, it's you amazing know. when you look back at your notes like from 10 years ago and I see people like Lee Mack or yeah. Chris Addison or mm. other names that have disappeared from, from, from <laughs> yeah. amazing people that didn't get even get anywhere in Hackney well, well I remember going to Bannerman's years and years ago at the Edinburgh Fringe and seeing three, three new Scottish comedians and one was Richard Gadd and, and I thought well the other two are crap but I remembered Richard Gadd's name and I always paid attention to everything he did after that mm. so, so actually being in that sort of three, three-hander had an effect on me paying attention to him what do they say about advertising that you see two ads it's when you see the third that you buy the product or mm. something and I think it's the same like again I mentioned earlier Bill El Zafar you know he was kind of cropping up in competitions and then he won he won the Hackney New Act of the Year so you kind of thought right I do want to see what his, his yeah. particularly with the type of show he was doing actually I was interested to see how that mm. eight minute Mono, you know, eight minute, very nice, neatly self-contained story about the Muslim cake shop. I thought, how can he turn that into a fifty-five minute show? And maybe it was only a forty-minute show, but it was still pretty good. You know, it was, uh, wasn't quite fifty-five minutes there. But yeah, you just—it's not like it's probably not so much just seeing someone in a club and going, "Oh, I like their, I like their ten minutes. I'll, I'll look up to them in Edinburgh." It's, it's, it's competition. It's new competitions, things like that. Yeah. There also, is, clubs are quite solid set in who they book these days, and it's very rarely interesting. People come straight up through the clubs. They come up through the new app competitions, and then. The, club, the clubs start booking them so you're seeing them before that really I think depends what, what gigs you're going to yeah I mean, I mean there, are, there are some open spot gigs where they've got like 20 people on I mean oh yeah where yeah. there are going to be five, <laughs> five or six or seven people in there are going to be pretty good now, there's one oh, there's a competition online just now that I'm oh I go into a kind of a, a fugue of rage every time I see it it's um oh, not like the last factory. factory yeah the world's champion the world. <laughs> and you go and everybody's kind of uh, representing their own country. So I've got Jambi McGrath representing Kenya. And she's the only one, though, so she doesn't even have to play against anyone. person in the world competition. They tried to get me involved with that a couple of years ago. I wouldn't absolutely... You are funny. No. <laughs> <laughs> Risible. Can yes. I, can I... So, just, just so that... Idea. I, just so yeah. that I've got something clearer in my head, because because there's been so many different. What I'm, do, what I'm basically trying to do here is I'm trying to work out from a, from a comedian's point of view and, and bust a load of myths on why people actually. No, no, because I'm trying to. Oh, fine. So as I understand it, the myth the myth of this is we pay as in comedians pay for PRs, big posters flyering teams and our own flyering efforts we get people in then hopefully when we get you guys in that boosts your other reviewers to come in because once one of you's come in the rest of you might have a chat and then that sort of leads down the chain or up the chain or whatever way you want to look at it the actual way it works or or the actual way you guys work is you have a pre-assigned list of people that you want to go and see because of people you've seen on the circuit and then you'll see those and then when you're up there you will be listening to the buzz of what's happening ignoring PRs and ignoring well maybe listening to each other's reviews but generally trying to stick to your own thing for the, the time you're up there and that will help judge who you're going to go and see yeah I mean the bottom line is if you've got a good show people will start coming to see it and you'll get the buzz and yeah. that's that's 
that's the best PR, having a good show. Yes, we'll talk about in, it. in a way, what's happening with comedy is the same thing that's hap- that's, that ha- happens with actors, in that actors depend on a whole bunch of other people to get them work, whereas comedy always used to be just one person going out and doing a gig, and that was it. Whereas now they're buying all this support to in order to try somehow make their show better, which it actually isn't going to make their show better. They'd be much better being focused on getting the right room at the right time and doing a really good show, because yeah, exactly. the word will get out... So simple, but yeah. that is. Well, the thing is, it is I mean, it's, it's a waste of. T- I mean, the yeah. other thing is, they're wasting a lot of time, energy, and money yeah. doing all these other things. Do their own flyering, just buy a, a limited number of flyers. Don't even worry about a poster, or just get ten printed, A three, just mm. around your venue, whatever you want. But keep the costs right down, mm. and it's possible to do it you know, very, very cheaply. It's not fucking rocket mm. science. But I think they're you're just a person standing at a mic doing an idea. But they're scared. Really I think they're scared. No, they're not scared. They're not scared. They're mm. egotistical, and they are desperate to gather a group of people around them that then when it all goes tits up they can blame because it can't ever be their fault that is what it's about it's about uh, uh, obscuring the fact that maybe you're shit or maybe you're not shit but you're not quite good enough it is a very 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 simple thing and comedy is a very brutal thing and that's what people don't like to face it's just you and your material and a microphone mm. and you stand or fall on that yeah. and it's only about you trying not to face that that is about oh I'll get a manager and I'll get PR and I'll get this and I'll get that because then when it doesn't work it's not my fault mm. yes it fucking is mm. so either get better or get out I, I, I do agree with that but I also want to kind of just it's not a, a, a response to that really it's just something I've been thinking around what we've been talking about now is that I know a good few comedians that have come out to Edinburgh and in my estimation and the other people's estimation is a fantastic show and sometimes like you, you're saying that you, like you come up with the sense of like picking up a buzz or there are comedians that you want to see and there are a lot of shows that fall through the net I mean one of the things about Kate's method of like people emailing is like having an open source like that really helps even like Steve's idea of somebody being able to pay £250 for an advert or however much it is helps getting somebody in for to have a review but sometimes it can be a real challenge just to bottom line get a review of people to come in and see a show and there are so many I can't put this strongly enough so many people that are absolutely brilliant that and I I think things have maybe changed a little bit but not that much you know and and it can kill you as a comedian to see your friends who are like or not even friends even enemies sometimes like that show is you know (laughs) not that I have enemies but the but the idea that sometimes (laughs) yeah sometimes the buzz is a very industry centric thing um and people can be talking about in bars or whatever and it's a certain echelon a certain type of people or t- a certain type of show that appeals to judges critics reviewers and sometimes the buzz that is around like for comedians or people that are just Scottish people that are living in Edinburgh or that are really enjoyed as shows themselves like Kerry Marks the buzz around Kerry Marks this show wouldn't have been heard by the industry per se because the industry mm-hmm. aren't excited myself by and Kate both and saw it did you see it so, good. so, so yeah. You're all right. I'm using Kerry yeah, as yeah. an example of something yeah. we've already pre-agreed that you wouldn't necessarily be predisposed to go and see because he's been around and I'm just using yeah. it as yeah. an example of no, a no, show no, that wasn't fetid but it's was but one other thing that I noticed it this year so much and I don't remember it before uh, but again it's a it's about greed of the industry sludge that I would get 
uh, a lot of PRs and sometimes the comics themselves saying, oh, will you come and see, yeah, I really need a review, really need a review. Uh, yeah, we're selling out uh, seven nights a week, uh, but I really need a review. You go, oh, no, you fucking don't. <laughs> and with PRs, they'll go, um, yeah, it's it's incredible it's selling out every night oh we've got 4,000 Bobby Baby and 4,000 this and 4,000 that but we really need the Scotsman no you don't there's somebody who's playing to nobody who really needs the Scotsman (laughs) if it's good you don't you're just a greedy cunt (laughs) (laughs) although they've said to it half round and they haven't delivered on that yet so they're trying to get some, some value out absolutely of it. and it ties into people's idea of what success is because often you can be in a sell out show and things can be going well and there can be that sense of depression that <clears throat> some comedians would get which is like oh it's not well so instead of seeing their career as a 5 or 10 or 15 year journey of getting better and slowly the word of mouth coming there is this idea that if you don't get an award or you don't win an award or you don't get nominated for an award in Edinburgh then you, the, the, the show has been a failure and I think again that's the way people approach their careers these days and it is to do with I think some of it is to do with survival it's very difficult to survive as a comedian so if you get nominated for something you're, you've got more money coming in there's a more chance and so there's that kind of desperation under that in very practical terms not just ego but I think there is an ego and there is a sense of what success is so I do, I do think that those that's a valid point definitely I, mean, I think and it's it, probably gets sort of more difficult now there's so fucking many of you Jesus Christ we're up to our nipples in bog standard comics so you know well, maybe a cull or just letting the dead hood drift off I'm up for a cull I'm up for well, also, we're up to nipples in good shows. I mean, we were saying before there's like 30 brilliant shows. But there's also, out of the 1,000 shows, there are probably 100 shows that were pretty good. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's tough. You know, it's tough seeing everything. And, you know, we just and, can't get... You know, just, just talking about what you were saying about falling through the, the cracks. I mean, I, I did kind of get a bit of a wriggle on to go and see Tim Renko, who is somebody like that. Because... I was. I had thought, no, Tim will be fine. Tim will be great. I'll go and see him in the second week. He had to cancel two shows because nobody came. Uh, now he's an award-winning comic that who you know everybody knows. But uh, and who else was cancelling shows? Somebody else quite extraordinarily, you know, a good and b. Brunstrom, Michael Brunstrom, the Michael Hart, uh, the Michael, the Malcolm Hardy award-winning, <laughs> uh, Michael Brunstrom. <laughs> Uh, uh, cancelled shows and yeah, I think Daniel Wald cancelled some free shows didn't she and uh, I I went to see uh, Matt Price who I think is phenomenal and uh, he had some sellout shows and when I went to see him there was about four of us there mm. went to see Peter White there was about four of us there and that doesn't for having four people in doesn't matter if you're in a free venue Exactly. It, it seriously matters if you're in a paid-for ticketed <laughs> venue because yeah. you you, ha- you have to pay a guarantee to the venue. So if you have a really, you know, let's say it's the wrong time, wrong room. Yep. I, I mean, that's the other problem with being in a room that's too big. They still want you. They still as a guarantee based on the number yep. of seats in that room, yep. which is an absolute killer. And with most of the, the paid venues, there's 25 quid for your tech. Can I, can I ask you <coughs> to elaborate on what you said a minute ago where you said you thought they were scared? I just wanted to know what your point was there. That people are scared. You said that you. Well, I think I think I think if you feel you've got a group of people around you supporting you, that helps you psychologically just feel a bit more secure. You don't feel so lonely and isolated. And the other, my, one of the other things that I think people don't do enough up there 
is they all hang about with their mates and they don't get out and don't network and they really should be blagging into the industry bars working out or just going to places where they know you lot are going to be or I'm going to be and when they see us they should if if they possibly can even run along the side of us as we're going somewhere because you know we, we're all in a mad rush before you said that was me being desperate of you yeah, and chatting <laughs> I mean if Barry ran along the side of me for, for two or three minutes all you did and went it's really good and by the way not only my show but so and so show you must come and see it I would go that's fine I'm going to hold you to that next year <laughs> no I, I, I always say to people just come up find me yeah. Find me, I'll be in a bar the later in the evening the drunker I will be so the more likely I will be to say yes at least I'll just remember it forget, yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> give me a flyer yes, yes. <laughs> another thing that sort of keeps coming up is how long comedians should be able to um, use awards or quotes on their posters for because I mean I've seen comedians ride on the same quote for years and I always I always put the date on my quotes because I'm like I want them to know that maybe this wasn't this year's show or this was two years ago or whatever I mean how how long as reviewers do you think they should be doing it for is, is it until the next show you have I saw one at this year who on his, had a, his poster on stage and it said uh, one of the gr- greatest young comics around Arthur Smith he was in his mid 30s mm. and I think it was when Arthur Smith introduced him at the Hackney Empire yeah. show 10 years ago you know yeah. so it wasn't even a proper quote no I think it was a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, those are the sort of quotes that really annoy me dodgy. which is when someone comes off stage and someone slaps him on the back and says well done that was great and then it goes up on there I get really cross yeah. about always ask permission to use a quote well, but yeah, that person might well say yes, but it, it's still wrong. It's yeah. not really don't, don't trust comedians' quotes because either they might or have been a... I mean, I, I do think it's... It, you shouldn't use a show, a, a quote about one show about another show. Mm-hmm. Oh, but that happens. So you can't yeah, avoid, you can't avoid that. You've programme together in February. You haven't got your show yet. So I think I it's know. okay to use the last show. If you're going but back it might be a completely that. different... That's I mean, true. In an ideal world, it would be a completely different show. And it, I mean, but, I, but you can't avoid that because you can't, you can't get a quote to Don't you two. fucking quote. Write something. Well, you know, well, the well, audience well, is not so unbelievably stupid that... Well, on my... I stopped them eventually... But uh, I saw 123 years ago Tom Steed when he did his first ever show in Edinburgh. The year he did True West with Phil Nickel and he did his first stand up. And I was fucking blown away. I thought he was just absolutely brilliant. And I put something like, uh, so cool, he could be the answer to global warming. Ha <laughs> ha! Oh, my sides, my sides. And then I saw him the next year and it had the quote, and the show was okay. And then I saw him the next year and it still had the quote, and the show's a piece of shit. And I, I, I said to his PR, because she was like, oh, come and see Thomas Jordan. So I went to the show and I said, okay, we can do two things here. It was Laura Cochran, who I really like. And I said, either I write the review and print it, and it's a one-star review, and I will rip him apart, because that was just appalling. That was, yeah. You may as well have sat on the stage and wanked. It was you. Hi there, I'm Tom Steele. I've got a kind of a, I kind of got a gravelly voice, and I'm really good looking, and I'm just going to. Anyway, I said either I will not, I won't print the review, or I will print the review, and it'll be a one star review. So uh, she said, "All right, don't print it, don't print it." So I said, "That's great, but I'm not coming back. None of this. Oh, he was just having a bad night." And for the next, it was something like the next six years, because I never went back to see him again, because I thought, okay, he's off the list. He's turned into a wanker, and he kept using. That quote until I said, I think it was when Mel Impressive took over. I said, please don't use that. Mm-hmm. That quote is from 19, sorry, from uh, 2005, I think it was, or 2004. I said, since when 
I've seen him and he was quite possibly the worst show I saw all that year. So if you want a more recent quote from me, it is, tragically, this once fine comedian has turned into a complete egotistical wanker and I never wish to see his show again. Again, I'd book him. (laughs) Another thing I would say about quotes is pick your sources. I saw on uh, Lucy Porter's post this year, it had four stars splashed across there and it said, Comedy Coroner. What the fuck's Comedy Coroner? I looked them up, they've got a hundred Twitter followers. So it's a person with... Yeah. Yeah, and you go, well, what if you... That was the big one right across these amazingly big posters. Mm. I mean, well, so that makes me feel... Make, think worse of you. If that's the yeah. best you can do is yeah. a four-star from, from a bloke. Or yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. No, quote abuse. I mean, it's but it's not even... It's not just about comedy, isn't it? Film critics, yes. everyone has... Yeah. I mean, I've got one at the moment. Nina Conti is on in the West End, back in the West End. And the, the quote they've got from my... When I reviewed it in the West End six months ago is something like, you'll never see anything like this. Uh, yeah. yeah, so you'll never see anything like this. What I actually wrote was, you'll never see anything like this unless you go and see Paul Zerdin. <laughs> <laughs> that is, yeah. Uh, and, yeah. you know, but, and I've got another quote, and I think I, I, just, I don't want to get this wrong, and I won't name and shame. Someone in Edinburgh who's using a quote from The Standard, it wasn't me, and I asked him where, where it came from, and he, he says, 15 years ago. Wow. Amazing. Said, yeah, yeah, he originally said 10 years, and I think he then felt guilty, he said, actually, probably, probably longer than that now I think about it. I had a day job maybe 15 years ago. Well, if you got a really good quote 15 years yeah. ago and you still hasn't made it... Yeah. 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 You've got a better quote. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. I, there's uh, one of the nicer PRs, uh, Paul Sullivan. He was looking after Vicky Stone one year before... When, I think it was like the second year, or the first, mm-hmm. second year she did. And the first year it had all gone terribly well. And then she did the Philip Schofield song or something. And so he got her interview with The Guardian, uh, cover of the... Read, um, uh, Sunday Times or something or the Times reviews from most of the broadsheet and she was probably have to talk and she said uh, well I've only got why why don't I have more stars he said well you know what the kind of quality press have all been in he said Paul we're talking quantity not quality so she actively wanted him to go for I don't know much about comedy but I know what I like dot com and just in it for the free tickets dot co dot uk and all of those ones quantity not quality was what she said Uh, I'm I'm Mm. just going to interject here and just say this is all is is it's very good and it's very kind of uh, I can absolutely see it from your perspective, but from the comedian's perspective, a lot of people are just wanting to stay in the game in order to get good enough. I think one of the things that's never spoken about is that the longer that you get to do comedy, the better you get at it. Probably, possibly. Well, some people never get better. Okay. Like, you know, I think Tom I think if you're never given the opportunity, to yeah. Do, yeah. You don't get good at it. And so staying in the game is hugely important. Finding a way to earn enough money from comedy or around comedy and been doing that is hugely important. Which is why so many people, I think, from certain kind of backgrounds managed to make it because they've got a place to live in or they've got enough mm. money supporting Private them. income. And it's not just about them not... Mm. You know, people are good. Those people are good, but they have the support in order to be able to do... To, to get good. And the time, which is hugely important. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why I say that in this context is that I think that sometimes quotes, if you have had a good show, it shows that you have had a good show. Even if it was 200 years ago, you have it within you to have had a good show. And I think sometimes, as a comic, it's just very important to be able to find some way to survive. So to, if you have a quote that is good, you will use that quote because it means that somebody will come along and most people aren't connoisseurs of comedy. Most people don't know what's happening on the internet. Most people wouldn't even know, a lot of people wouldn't even know that 
you could have a show by a brilliant comedian one year and it could be rubbish the next year. It wouldn't even occur to people that, that somebody... that, that I, 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 A lot of the time, it shows I'll MC and people come up to me afterwards and go, you're really good. You should you should give stand-up a go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that is, that is out there. And so... I still think within, you should do that. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> within that world, the context of the... The not the industry. I think it's useful and important to have quotes that say, "I have been good. I am good. Come along to see my new show." And I and I think that's a slightly different kind of. I'm not disagreeing that that the I mean, statute I mean, limitations. I used to get a lot of compliments on my fantastic tits, but they've got a bit <laughs> saggy now. And if I, I told you that I had great tits and you copped a feel. You'd be very disappointed. Because yeah, you paid money to see. Well, exactly. Them. You know, you'd be very, very <laughs> disappointed. Like a PR, wouldn't you? Just because they were perky ones. But I think, <laughs> but I think at the same know. time, but I think at the same time, a lot of people, when you're selling a show, have an idea of permanence in their head. So oh, when you're selling. Wrong. Yeah, I know. And but they're heading for disappointment. So your, your artists is, aren't trying to make you a career for... Uh, but that is a... This is a comedian who's trying even to... Even worse if they were. <laughs> but what if your... But what if your tits... But what if your tits could be improved by hard work? I I would be all for that but I still wouldn't be advertising them as still great after all this year because frankly see I don't I I mean I don't disagree with the notion of a statute of limitations on, on, on reviews but I do think that it's it's important to kind of to realise that comedians like people performing and working if they've if they've got a quote that is from a good show that has been good it's not disingenuous to use that quote however long ago that is because it proves that they have been good and in some ways you can go up to a show like right now it's very difficult to get reviews if you're on the free fringe so if you've done free fringe shows for the Did last um, says a lot of the people that I know I know I know people I'm not going to name people because they would have been with PRs and stuff but I do know people that have gone to the free fringe and find it very difficult mm. to get with PRs and that, and they did both with care. and without PRs, <laughs> because there are so many, there are so many shows out there, and there, there are there are fewer and fewer publications. There are more. Yeah. Yes. My name is Johnny, problem. and I can do a, you know, I can yeah. write a blog. But in terms of review, uh, you know, like the the people in this room, intelligent street, people like what we are. But you are reviewers, and potentially you are the full complement of reviewers in Edinburgh. On it, on a, uh, you know, they're, they're, when I say you know full complement, yeah, there's Brian Logan, there's the broadsheets, <laughs> but there's. But, can I, can I but my point being is that it's very difficult to get reviews, and and I, so I do uh, like that are yeah. worth anything, and so that if you do and you have, and also, but also once you've, if you've seen something like two or three times, they've been perfectly fine, and you yeah. sort of go, well, that's it, then I'm not no, by that anymore. Yes. Yeah. Um, oh, but back on the quote thing, I mean, I don't. This, this does not keep me awake at night. It's just a, yeah. some funny little stories <laughs> yeah. about no, old no, quotes, yeah. and, and is it really old? You, you pull up, you pull up on it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely, but no, you got a show to sell, and that's. That's fair enough. And yeah, I'd, I'd just like to say that uh, from here on in, I would like to be referred to as the future of comedy, which is how I was how I was described by the Independent in 1991. I think oh. I think you still are. So I, just I, that's me now. I also <laughs> that's why comedy's in the mess now. <laughs> <laughs> the other the other point I just wanted to make as well is like, wouldn't you guys love for your quotes being used over places because it publicises you? Yeah. Surely you want like even if it's ten years ago, like isn't that lovely to have your review on Nina Conti? 
breach the cell. Um, you know, isn't used that to good? Be, not anymore. Yeah. I mean, but, no, uh, it, it is annoying was, if they're slightly taken out of context. I mean, like I'm not going to sue them, but your editors. We were talking about the corporate thing. Your editors of your pub, in your case, because you're an employer, they're going to go. Oh, look, Bruce's name up there. That's good. Well, they like it, I guess. You know, standard. I mean, it's fine as long as it's not somebody who's turned to shit. And now I'm being held up as his greatest fan. That's why your reputation again, which is like positive or negative, and it is your name out there. But that's. But I I think in that case, you just say to them, "Please stop using it if you don't want it used." Cropsing has the best example of of a misuse of a quote. And I, I I think this should be encouraged. (laughs) It was. Oh, many, many years ago, it was Jason Wood. Um, uh, Sadly, no longer with us. But he was so. I mean, I was such a fan of his. Uh, And I went along to see his show, and it was just lazy fucking shit. I thought, you know, what are you doing? I mean, it was it was vocal impressions of dead people, and you know, just awful. It was it literally at the end. You thought he was going to say, "So, uh, will this do?" Love Jason. I thought, "No, it fucking won't do, Jason." So I ripped into him. I remember using the phrase "toxic camp," um, <laughs> and uh, well, I had to be concise. I only had fifty words and gave him one star. And the same night that the Scotsman came out, there was. Massive banners across the front of the assembly rooms that said A star Kate Copsey in Scotland, <laughs> which I thought was fantastic. I mean, now that was four star comedy, <laughs> although the show was one star comedy. Scotsman had a sense of humour bypass about it and made him take it down, but I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> would, would it be fair to say then that a review is, is there for everyone, but it's, it's, it's more impactful for industry people to notice who else that you know who, who you guys are talking about rather than public who maybe will read it and go, I'll oh, look them up? I don't think that impactual is even a word. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, was, I refuse to answer that question on the basis that impactual is not a word. I'll overlook it. Um, <laughs> I, I, no, we'll, 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 we'll just check it on Urban Dictionary to see if we have to touch or not. Um, urban Dictionary. I spit I, I on your Urban Dictionary. the Urban Dictionary definition for that word. It definitely exists. Top six are a not urban. Well, I think they're all writing from the punter's point of view. I mean, kind of especially Chortle has a lot of industry looking at it, but you're, I mean, 90% of my readers are still punters. Higher, yeah, because, you know, there's not that many in the industry. Um, Scotsman, almost everybody is a real punter, yep. I thought, and same with, same with the standard, especially. Mm-hmm. So you, you are writing for the punter. That's what I'm writing for. Yeah. Well, you were talking about uh, not going to clubs as often because the way the industry's gone, it's gone more to one-man shows. And I wonder if, if that has caused Edinburgh to explode the way it does, or maybe it's caused comedians to see that as more of their five-year plan, and they're, they're focusing more on hours than, than club sets and all that. I, I think, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I, I can only speak for myself, not, not Steve, but, yeah, the problem is you can spend four nights a week in Soho Theatre, you know, there's, you know, and that's the thing, because you want to see... I mean, Barry slightly touched on this before without actually using... I don't think you actually use the word art... But there is this thing that, you know, seeing comedy as an art form and you want to see that art form developed. And that's why, you know, I'm, I'm more interested in seeing a one hour show at Soho Theatre 
than seeing three acts do at 20 minutes at but a club. I'm because ki- I kind of wonder where this one one hour show thing goes. I know, and it's unique. It's English, isn't it? It's not yeah, in, but, in I mean, the well, States, what, what, is it? So yeah. they, they put, put all this time and effort in putting a one hour show together, mm. and then a lot of it never ever goes anywhere else. Well, a lot again. of the shows I'm seeing in Soho, the one hour shows that I didn't get to see in Edinburgh because there's a thousand. Yeah, but shows I'm talking about the shows that don't get to Soho Theatre. But that's what people, because there's, so, there's fewer clubs now and more comics, they're all trying to get on the art circuit. I can tour my own one man show thing. Yeah, but that Matt, circuit's but not huge. That's not huge, but if you can get 30 people to come to Leamington Spa to see you and you because it's your name on the poster, that's a stepping stone. And next year, you maybe get 50 but, but, people. But what I'm saying is, what's the end product of this? What, it's what, to be what, able to what, tour. What, what, what do all these all these hundreds of people doing one man shows that last an hour? What are, what are the 90 percent of them? What's the objective? Well, their objective is, is as Simon is, says, to have their own audience who are going to come and see them. And you only you know you don't need to have a huge audience. It's but where the, are they going to? Where are they going to do it? How many venues are there that could do that? Hundreds in the country. You need to have like a hundred people in a hundred towns. I think that's one. That's definitely one. That's what they're aiming at, I think. But do you not think it's missing? Sorry. Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, I think that's definitely one route. And I think that, you know, Stuart Lee's lauded that route of like, you know, you need 10,000 people to give £5 a year or 5,000 people to give £10 a year or one person to give you £50,000 a year. Um, And you've you've got a career and that's all you need. But I, I, I do kind of also agree that... There is, uh, there are people just do a show because they think they should do a show mm. often because it's the done thing. And it's again, it's in people's idea, heads, the idea of what success and what being a comedian is. Mm. It's like you go and you do your Edinburgh show and you go, I'm going to do my hour. And it's like, I've got to get a 20 together. And it's like, well, those are just kind of the benchmarks that have been set before. It doesn't necessarily make you a good comedian yeah. just because you've put a show together or had a show up in Edinburgh and you know and like in the same way winning an award doesn't mean you can do a 20 at the comedy store you know it's like there is a totally different they're very different there are many in the in the word of like you know art Mm -hmm. of what Bruce was using you know in in the art of stand-up comedy there's a huge difference between Harry Hill and Bill Hicks and you know a world of difference between those two people but they both still be defined as comedians Mm. and in the same way of like you know uh, doing an hour-long show is totally different to having a great 20 Mm. and you know there are uh, and to being a a, um, somebody that's on panel shows and Mm. can host a tv show totally different skills the one show that I I did see in Edinburgh and just back to talking about things slipping through the net was and it's exactly what Hill said about you've got to get the right venue, the right time. And it, it, there's a comic called Richard Brown, Scottish comic, who uh, I saw when he did his Edinburgh debut hour two years ago. And he did it in the kind of tent on the steps on the way down from Chambers Street down to the Cowgate. So, it, I mean, it was a, a horrific <laughs> venue. Horrific freezing cold battered with rain there were no sides to the tent but I thought he was quite quite brilliant brilliant just angry and and articulate and just I mean he I know he probably would not give any give me any thanks for it but very very much you think oh I found the new Frankie Boyle you know that kind of it the way Frankie is now though intelligent and you know properly political I just thought he was phenomenal then I didn't see him last year and I don't know why I think it might have been because he was on at the same time every year which is 12 noon now this is a you know it's a it's a 10 o'clock in the evening show in a, a venue where there's buzz around and 
lads around and whatnot. I saw him again this year, 12 noon uh, in the cave, but he was in the biggest cave with part of it cordoned off. So again, what Ills was saying about a, a big venue, he was pay what you want. Yeah, but they but, do charge by the but size they do of the room. But, um, uh, and it's a massive room, so it, you know, they, it had no no atmosphere or anything. And there were, there were probably about 20, 25 people there. And you can see him, not just as a kind of as a person starting to fall apart and you just go he just he needs I mean I gave him a a four star review the first year it had to be a three star review this year because he just he started he's on the cusp of that bitterness that comics get when they think they're not getting anything that they deserve and he is he's very smart and he has a obviously a very close and Scottish affection uh, for alcohol and the relationship I think is getting closer probably mm. by the month <laughs> uh, which again is is dangerous but that I find very frustrating but but 12 noon you know, kind of those venues and, especially and for year three I mean you're the one you tell what you're given he's, yeah, you're yeah he's got no one pushing him no one looking after him he's got he seems to have absolutely no support whatsoever and there was no buzz and I don't know whether that's because he's a bit of an arse when he's drunk or he doesn't mm. have any comedian friends or what but certainly he seems to be you know I, I said in my review please please somebody take this comic give him a decent venue and a decent slot and let enough people see how good he is or he will just well, he couldn't spontaneously combust. Well, he could with the amount of alcohol. But he's a falling through the cracks comic. But he's a falling through the cracks comic. What I think would be interesting is if we all adopted a venue that we actually saw all the shows in oh, on a free fringe so we just sat there and watched every show through might take two days but then I mean and I, um, we probably all have a favourite venue I've got a little one that I go to that I find oh I'm not telling you uh, I can't remember the name of it it's grass, grass Market and Keep Going Oh, the Dragonfly. Dragonfly, The Dragonfly is a lovely little venue. And and although it's off the beaten track, but it's but it's a good little room. And I think that if if that way the 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 acts would see that people are there, it would also drive them to going to the better free fringe venue next year and seeing an opportunity to move up through because you know the free fringe it's got. It's got to that point where people are doing the free fringe will have to for maybe two or three years. So there needs to be some sort of even hierarchy within the free fringe, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah. And the only way that's going to be is because the rooms are nicer and they've justified getting in there. Which yeah. it happens, yeah. A counting house, obviously that's different this year because yeah. the counting house ballroom is nice, the mm. big room in there. Uh, the hive, despite smelling oddly, is a nice mm. room. Well, one yeah. of the interesting things about marketing and the size of a room, of course, is the reason that Richard Gadd was considered for the increasingly prestigious Malcolm Hardy Award. The award-winning increasingly prestigious Malcolm Hardy Award. Mm. Yeah, it, <laughs> indeed, indeed, yes, but, um, which is created by A. Ward, Mr. And Mr. John Ward. Uh, but he was considered for the cunning stunt, and, and Copsey will explain why uh, Richard Gadd was... He d- I mean, I, I knew he did it last year, and I, I, he was in a very, very small venue because nothing sells a show like being a sold-out show. People will queue for a show that's got a sold-out thing. And that's why all those board in the big venues sold out, sold out. You're going, oh, sold out today. I have no idea who it is, but they must be good if they're yeah, sold out. So I'll go and see him tomorrow. And so this year, Richard went into an even smaller venue. 
in also in the Banshee the, Labyrinth, the but it was the one. smaller. And you know, it gets queued. It was rammed. rammed it was unsafely long. rammed. <laughs> <laughs> I did actually I just, speak to somebody about. Oh, for God's sake! That is one yeah. of my favourite venues yeah. in the world. But, but it's, it's closed down now. It's the lighting. I love the Banshee Labyrinth. All the venues. If the lighting went out, no one would get out. But he consciously awful. He consciously did that, didn't he? Because last year he was in two smaller venues, so this year he was in an even smaller venue. I love the Banshee Labyrinth. I love the 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 Cabaret Voltaire. I also want to add at this kind of because we're talking about venues, there is a hierarchy in the free fringe venues now. It is very difficult to get the nice rooms. Mm. People know what the nice rooms are, both in Peter Buckley Hill, in the Laughing Horse Mm. one, um, and you know, and it's people that have either been there a while, like you know, Richard Gad would obviously be given preferential treatment, or Rob Mm. Orton, or people that have been Mm. good for a while. And that's not that it's unfair, but there is also the element of the people that are friends with people up here or help him out mm. it's like uh, there is there, it isn't just a um a meritocracy uh, so it is becoming a meritocracy as well as, as a friendritocracy if that's yeah. a, yeah, <laughs> to, to use another urban dictionary phrase um so uh, so it, it isn't as open source as uh, it's beginning to ossify mm. is my point Can I, one okay. thing i would love to see if I have a dream, uh, and in my dream, people like Barry and we can just leave no, that. people like Barry. That's yeah, like, no, and there aren't really many people like Barry. I would, <laughs> I would really love to see more independent venues starting up. Not necessar- not just yet another Laughing Horse venue, not just, but proper independent venues. Start your own. With I would love if I had the money. I would fucking love to. I'd ban PRs. I, you know, I'd, I'd just, there would be, you know, you want to come and play in my venue? No PR. No. That's because, that's why a lot of, you know, uh, people, comedians, places like the plan, the stand, because it's an independent venue and very few other places are. And it's, uh, yeah, I think it's important. Can I, uh, I've got one final question just to, I'd love to get all your takes on, if that's okay, just to end on. If you, if you were able to change, or if, if you could just wave a wand and you're able to change one thing about the fringe that bugs you or that you think just, just shouldn't still happen or whatever that may be, what would that be? No PR. Price of accommodation, isn't how you do that. Yeah, it's the, it's the cost. It's the cost in general. So accommodation, don't spend money on venue, fairer venue deals. No, don't spend waste money on PR. So the, all of those the things. The price of yeah. beer at Pleasance. Oh <laughs> yes. Five pound thirty, five pound fifty. Blame pound. Edinburgh University. I know. I know. I'm not blaming Pleasance. I have, but we know it's not the Pleasance. But the punters think it's the Pleasants that are doing it. I'm just saying the beer was outrageous. And soft drinks so, are even more. The as- assembly rooms, we should all go, go into the assembly rooms, industry bar, it's mm. £3 a pint. I, I think the French Society should intervene and say that no one person or organisation can run more than three rooms at the Edinburgh Festival. <gasps> three rooms is nothing, though, is it? Uh, absolutely, and that means there's no money to be made off the bar sales, there's no money to be made off the ticket sales, or no substantial amount of money. There's enough money to be made uh, just to make some some people survive, uh, but there's not huge, huge wads of cash, so it's less of a commercial enterprise for both PRs and for uh, venue owners. But the fringe, the fringe office, of course, doesn't control the fringe, no one does, so they would still exist, wouldn't well, they? Well, I mean, they do have some say in the parameters of what's considered the fringe. I don't know whether that's possible. You, I, I wasn't they? told that this had to be viable. Free money for all. I want to add to my no PR thing, I want to add Barry Ferns should run the fringe. Yes, <laughs> Yes. Nice.
But only three venues. Yeah, it'd be great if you had solutions to what you'd love to happen, but it's more of a case of finding out what irks you rather than what irks performance. Although I totally agree with Barry in the sense that, yeah, it's a case of, I mean, that expansion recently with the balloon to the counting house was... We don't know how it's going to work yet, though, because the fi- the financials aren't certain yet. Well, I mean, when I, when I had her on the pod a few months ago, and she and she said it was literally because she's running out of space in her current. Oh, I know, I know the reasons, but okay, you won't yeah. know whether it's viable, whether it actually is a good idea until people get their payouts, because yeah. no one quite knows how the money's working. Yeah. Can I just say one thing before you? No, yeah, the, the fringe is still the most amazing place to be, and all oh, yeah. we're whinging and moaning about it. It's the fact that there's thousands of people I being so creative and trying to be the best they can, even if what the best they can is only mediocre. Yeah. It is still an amazing place to be. I have to say. It was my 30th year consecutive year at the Fringe. And I think twice I wasn't going to go up and then I saw reviews starting to pop up in the Scotsman or wherever and I have to go. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming. Cheers. And that's the end of the post-Fringe podcast. For me, I got so many things out of this, namely that I don't need PR and that I should be more inventive with my marketing at the Fringe and just not follow what everyone else is doing. It sounds obvious, it really does, but sometimes you need to be told something obvious just for it to kind of cement in your head and for it to be at the forefront. And... I'm really glad that I got that from the experts. I really, I'm really glad that they told me how they find out about shows, what PRs they avoid. I also loved hearing what annoys them about the Fringe and the link between the circuit outside of the Fringe and the Edinburgh itself. That to me has been invaluable and that to me has really given me a better perspective on the filtration system that they have for finding new talent. I should also say this was my first attempt at doing a multi-channel, multi-mic podcast and given the fact that the mic technique of the guests was not amazing, the sound quality was not as amazing as it usually is in pockets of that interview and I am more than aware of that. I did my best job and overall this is something I'm ridiculously proud of. Uh, I recorded it three days ago and I've spent nearly 12 hours editing the thing since then. I've basically set aside the last couple of days to do my admin but between that I've been doing this and I'll be honest with you this has basically taken priority over my admin so I really hope you got something out of it and I really hope you enjoyed it even even a modicum as much as I did and if you got anything out of it I'm, I'm happy. Please email me, please tweet me, please tweet the guests and thank them if you did enjoy it and if you're appreciate their time all their uh, twitter handles and all their contacts are in the show notes for the podcast which you can find at simonkane.co.uk if if this podcast helped you out or if this podcast was valuable to you in any way let's say it saved you 50 quid because you're spending less on posters and flyers or say it's but say it saved you two grand because you're no longer hiring a pr because you realize that maybe they're not as effective at getting you what you want as you thought they might be take what that saved you and bung me say it saved you 50 quid bung me 20 quid or if it saves you two grand bung me 100 quid that seems about reasonable all the money gets plowed back into the show and the project itself and it supports the thing you like so if you like this and you can afford it i realize not everyone can afford it and i'm I'm not expecting everyone to donate but if you can afford it and you're sitting there thinking wow that was a really good interview i got so much out of that it's really going to help me next year really going to help out the community as a whole of comedians and anyone going to edinburgh and i'd love to support this project you can go to my website it's simonkane.co.uk there's a paypal button on there if you can donate do it through that if you can do it as a regular donation so like say you want to donate a dollar or 
$5 an episode, that would be amazing as well. You can do that on patreon.com forward slash Podcast. There's a link for that on my website as well. Both of those things keep this project afloat. So if you can do that, please do. But if you can't do that, an iTunes review would be golden. Just an honest review. Say, be really kind and be really honest in it. But only if it's a positive one. If it's a negative one, if you've got any feedback you want to give me that's constructive, just email it to me directly. Don't put it up on iTunes. What's the point? Don't spread negativity on the internet unless you've actually got a reason to do it. And I make it so clear how you can contact me. Send me that information directly. I don't mind. I can take it. But if you've got anything positive to say, write it there because it really helps with future guests and with people who are looking for new podcasts to listen to. If you could share it on Facebook or Twitter or or directly with someone that you think will get some value from it. So maybe someone who you know is going to Edinburgh next year uh, or, or just anyone that you think will enjoy this interview in any way, shape or form. All of that helps and all of that really keeps going the project that you value. So if you do value it, please do one of those things. If you like this podcast, you might also be interested in the fact that I have got solo pods, in other words, one-on-one interviews with some of the panellists from this podcast. So Bruce Dessau has been on the podcast on his own and we talked about London Evening Standard reviewing and all kinds of stuff in relation to that. Uh, Copstick was also on talking about her views on censorship as well as comedy as well as the Fort Police involved in comedy and more stuff to do with the Edinburgh Fringe and Barry Ferns will be on the podcast soon so look out for that episode in about two or three months time. Hills Jago was episode one of the podcast so if you want to scroll back that's a mega pod that was a very long one to go through and, and I'm aiming on getting Steve Bennett on at some point as well. So if you'd like to hear from all individually, those are next episodes I'd advise you download and you'll learn loads more about the Edinburgh Fringe as well as the circuit as well as as well as everything else you might want to know about live comedy. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much to all the guests and to everyone at the Angel Comedy Club. I, I honestly can't express how much your cooperation and your help made this happen. I can't take full credit for it and I never would, but I need everyone to be aware how difficult this was for me to put together, but how much easier it was made by the cooperation of everyone involved so sincerely thank you all if you're still listening this far in why are you listening to yourself for the last 90 minutes but thank you very much for that and thank you very much for donating if you do i'll see you all in about 10 days time bye Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.